We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Mike. And last night, Lakers lost in Brooklyn, 121-104. to 104. No LeBron or AD, but Brooklyn did not have KD or Ben Simmons or TJ Warren. And so these types of games, Mike, I think are always interesting from the perspective of your superstars can't save you. So what are the base things that you do? Um, I think it illuminates those a little bit. And one of the aspects of last night's game that really stood out to me were our offensive struggles, particularly amongst our guards. I think our guards combined to shoot like eight for 38 or something like that between Dennis, Bev, and Russ. And so I have some thoughts that I want to get to in a moment on just kind of the half-court offense and just our offensive struggles in general. Uh, but what what was your view of last night's game from the ground? I'm looking forward to your thoughts, uh, Pete. Mine are, from last night are probably going to be pretty simple. They're We've talked over the years about how when you have LeBron James in your team, it's going to engender a certain type of offense. And, and I think that evolves some with Anthony Davis. But without both of them in the starting lineup and then Russell Westbrook coming off the bench, I think there was a little bit of a, OK, where do we attack and how? And yeah. this was voiced after the game by Troy Brown Jr. When I actually asked him something about that, like, hey, what you know, what was kind of the plan? What was the idea? And who's going to who's going to set up the open shots and can it be shooter at times well uh it, it almost had to be with that group because it's not like Beverly is going to go necessarily create an offense uh, an offensive uh, uh, possession or shot for you there was some iso stuff for Rui Hachimura which I thought some went well and uh and and some was difficult for him to do even though he, he ended up almost 50 percent from the field but so shooter was two for 15 Beverly was one for eight Russ came in it was five for 15 and it's not just the shooting percentages. It's just that they, the shots that they were getting, a lot of them were difficult. You know, th- this was mm-hmm. not a, a game, Pete, where they were just getting look after look. And, you know, do I, as I'm typically trying to figure out, it's all right, well, no LeBron, no AD. That's not going to be your typical night. C- can you craft something for that occasion? And I'm thinking back to that Miami game where it just, everybody just played really hard and they kind of caught Miami in a way that, that you don't typically do. 
And so they played defense and they ran out and they got out in transition and they got stops. And that wasn't necessarily going to work either because Brooklyn played pretty hard and they had guards who you know could create for themselves and for others. Um, most notably Kyrie Irving and then Cam Thomas came in and just hit a bunch of shots, kind of ISO type plays for himself. So mm-hmm. that that ended up being more than enough to beat the Lakers last night. But uh, that's enough for me now. I'm I'm curious where your head's at here, Pete, because I know you've been been you got some you know, concepts here. Well, I think that your uh, your question to Troy Brown and his answer. By the way, shout out to him. He had a monster game on the boards. Had 17 rebounds. Just randomly, just really played his ass off. Um, and it, it'd been good for for a minute for us. Um, but. That is kind of the core question and try to frame this conversation through the perspective of a one-on-one, this guy versus that guy. And the last two games in particular, what has flummoxed us has been the switching of our opponents, whether it's Boston or Brooklyn. And where a lot of those possessions were ending last night in particular, it's like Nicholas Claxton on Dennis Schroeder, defending him one-on-one after a switch. And that is not an advantageous matchup for Dennis. It might have been a couple of years ago, uh, but Claxton has really grown, Mike. He's one of the best defensive players in the league now and has a good degree of agility. And that specifically, so not only is he great around the rim, but he's one of the best switch defenders uh, in the league. He's one of the best guys going out against guards, and and that's been shown now for a while. And yep. we we got a great example of that last night because he was he was shutting a lot of stuff down. The the final Pete, the final tally for the paint for the Lakers was nineteen for forty eight, which is thirty nine percent. And usually they're not only are they scoring a ton more, but their percentage is way uh, yep. up from there. So that was that was a rough. And so it uh, it makes sense though, right? Like, uh, and Dennis is not like Dennis is an okay pull up jump shooter. In terms of point guards around the league, he's probably in the bottom third in terms of his ability to do that. His game is more built on speed and a certain degree of deception that goes away when he's the main guy or one of the main two guys kind of offensively. And so it begs some questions. And and sorry, before I move on, a uh, similar type of thing with Russ off the bench and a uh, guy like De'Ron Sharp and Claxton was in those moments too. But Brooklyn's defense and real credit to Jacques Vaughn, uh, LA guys done a great job over there. They've been really good defensively since he took over and they they do a good job of shutting down the paint. So it it begs some questions, not just, not just without LeBron and AD, but also with them. How do we beat these types of defenses? And I, I'm a firm believer that we need a secondary look. And one of the things, and so this is really built on who are your personnel? A lot of times when teams switch, when teams switch, the real main way to attack that around the league is matchup hunt. Be like, okay, you're going to switch. We're going to try to get your worst defender on our best offensive guy. Just, you get to kind of pick the matchup if you're on offense, if a team is switching. There are a couple of things that you can do beyond that, that uh, the Russ Wenyan Gabriel two-man game down uh, the stretch of the third quarter really uh, emphasized that, right? And so, uh, but by and large, you're looking at who are my best one-on-one matchups. And I think one of the underutilized aspects of this team that we started to go to a little bit more, and I think that the addition of Rui Hachimura adds to it, is we have some advantages in the post. One of the reasons that switching was not all that popular back in the day was the mentality and also the games of a lot of players were like, oh, you're going to put this little guy, get down in the post, bully him and score over the top of him. And a lot of the skill sets around the league, particularly amongst front court players, have kind of drifted more toward the perimeter where that's less of an aspect that's emphasized. And so teams can kind of get away with that a little bit more nowadays than than they used to. 
And but that said, with the personnel on our team, we actually have a lot of guys who can post up credibly. And one of the things I really liked about our third quarter and the end of the second quarter was it was like, oh, you've got who was it guarding like Royce O'Neal on Thomas Bryant. Royce O'Neal is a good defender. But if TB gets into a post seal and gets him on his back, he can't guard TB. Right. And the same thing's true of a lot of different kind of matchups you can get. And so. That was one of the things down the stretch of the Boston game where we went into the post a couple of times, but we don't have much in the way of organized action out of that. And it plays to this overall bigger point, Mike, that, you know, I've been saying, hey, we got to run. We got to push the pace. We got to do all this. And your point, which is very well made, is like it's really difficult to sustain to like always be go, go, go. We need to be able to be good and slow at the same time. And we haven't been able to bridge that. And I really think that, especially with Rui's addition, we have a lot of guys who can do that credibly well. And it's more like, okay, who's the mismatch? Who's the guy that Seth Curry has to guard in the post after a switch? And at the very least, you can draw a second defender. And I think that we can kind of get some, bear some fruit out of that where our pick and roll game and our driving game has been really useful this season. But I think having that second look would be really helpful. Okay, I'm convinced. Let me now give you another post touch. And (laughs) so here's another entry pass. So LeBron and AD come back for the Knicks game. We already got a report that LeBron is going to play. And I think, you know, we haven't officially heard about Anthony Davis, but the plan I think all along, right, was for him to play the one of these two. And how much with those, how much of it's focused with those two versus getting some for Rui, as we talked about with whoever that smaller defender, essentially, or the one who isn't as good that's going to take LeBron or, or Rui, and how much of that how much of that look plays into things like with a fully healthy Lakers versus what we saw last night? That's a great question. And I think it depends on who we're playing. And it's really about matchup hunting, Mike. It's like, where where is the other team weak? Where can we attack them? And I, I, I didn't mean when I was talking about like Rui's basically you run out of guys if you have LeBron, AD, and Rui out there. I, I didn't mean to frame that a couple pods ago from the perspective of, oh, just go to Rui every single time. But it's more, there's probably going to be some obvious disadvantage for the defense on the other side of which you can draw that second defender. And that's really what it's all about. And the whole intent of switching is to not allow the team to kind of create the temporary early advantage that other pick and roll coverages do, where it's like, okay, you know, you go over the top of the screen. Well, now you're behind that guy and it's more of a coordinated effort. Yeah. Switching, it, the whole idea is to not even get that wheel started. We saw that really in the first quarter a ton uh, with our struggles there. And so there are going to be some times where it's absolutely AD, the guy to go to in the post or LeBron. But I want to see some or- more organized actions out of that because a lot of times when we get those touches, it's for other guys standing around. This is something that, Pete, uh, Pete, correct me if I'm wrong, LeBron has a lot of experience in this kind of thing, right? Like he knows how oh, to yeah. match up on, he knows who should get the ball. So when I feel very good about it when he's on the floor. Can you get Russell Westbrook on board <laughs> sure. with with this kind of style? No, I mean that genuinely. Like, like can, can you sort of get Russ to it? Because he is, the one thing that I think he's really good at, and he did great in the game against Brooklyn, was okay, when you Gabriel on this screen roll action, the way they're defending it, and he just sort of kept hammering it. And when mm-hmm. basically, not that it was all Russ, but Russ was facilitating some of that. And, but in terms of matchup hunting and knowing when he should go and the defense is going to drop way off him, you know, in a different way that clogs the paint more, how do you, how do you deal with Russ in this concept? That's one of the biggest questions, right? Because when Russ identifies that, hey, this is the matchup to go to, he will absolutely spam it as we did uh, with that winning Gabriel ball screen. But there are other times where he's like, 
me versus Nick Claxton, this guy can't guard me. And it's like, no, actually he can. You're not the best option on this play. And so that is part of, it kind of ties into our conversation yesterday about like giving players room to operate within, but also having some degree of boundary where there were a number of plays, like five, six plays in a row where like Lonnie didn't even touch the ball. And he was kind of our skill guard on the court. And it's like, okay, if you got Claxton on this guy, let's see if we can get him a cross match for Lonnie because he's going to be able to score against this defense that's more packed in the paint, making all these decisions to kind of take that paint away of which that points in the paint stat that you read really illustrates. Like, let's get this to our skill guard because it's not something that Russ versus Claxton. And so can you get Russ to more frequently identify, especially another guard? It's one thing to be like, oh, my pick and roll partner has an advantage and I'm I'm the one facilitating it and passing it to him. It's a whole nother thing to be like, actually, I'm not the best guard in this situation to be attacking. So the answer is, I don't know. That's one of the big uh, questions for, for Darwin and just kind of the team. But I think that the importance of that, of actually doing that, of each time down the floor identifying this is the matchup we need to attack. And this is true on defense, too. In the third quarter, it was like, oh, Seth Curry's going to bring the ball up. Absolutely, Dennis, get up into him. He's not like if it's Kyrie bringing the ball up, you're not going to ball pressure him and get beat every time because of his handles. But Seth Curry, absolutely. Let's turn this dude over. So just like finding the small wins on the on the court. But you need your players to be able to identify that. All right. That makes sense again. So Russ is going to be a question mark. And, and I, I just think that. I'm not sure that Russ is going to be different from what Russ is. And so in certain sure. contexts, he's going to do it in certain contexts. He won't. And then that becomes on Darvin Ham a little bit like in the fourth quarter against yep. Boston where, all right, let's, we're going to stick with this group that is doing things in the way that we like them to do it. How about Dennis Schroeder? Um, and once Austin Reeves comes back, I think he's another guy who can, who you yeah. can sort of deploy as you want in that context where, it's, and Shooter, Shooter more likes to – he'll identify it, I think, sometimes for himself. How much is he going to do it for somebody else? That I think there's some growth potential mm-hmm. there. But then Austin, to me, is a little bit easier of a sell where, you know, Austin – because for Austin, that's sort of just basketball. Like, that's what the smartest play is going to be at the time. And I'm looking forward to getting him back. The update, Pete, if you – I don't know if you heard it on the broadcast last night, but mm-hmm. basically – He's going to get checked out in Indiana, um, so he's not going to play tonight. The team goes to Indiana. Today is Tuesday. Team leaves for when, on Wednesday afternoon for Indiana, so he'll get checked, it sounds like, Thursday morning. And I don't think that he has been ruled out for that game, but that's kind of the best-case scenario. We'll see if oh. he continues to get contact practices. But New Orleans also wouldn't then be ruled out uh, if he would be checked out and kind of keeps getting getting closer. So – I'm either the end of this trip or sounds like like right when the Lakers get home would be when he returns. And it's just interesting how we for a while were talking about him as the third best player on yep. this Lakers team. And he's been out for over a month now. Now That's they right. got Hachimura in and I I'm curious sort of where he slots and what they can get out of him and then who would sit because he's back with Troy Brown Jr. playing some of his best basketball, shooting the ball well. You mentioned it, 17 rebounds, but he had four assists, you know, against Brooklyn. And then you've got the kind of Beverly Shooter, Westbrook group that's been playing a lot together. And then they played Walker next to those guys at certain points. And it was even smaller. So I'm curious for your thoughts on the guard minute distribution with Austin potentially returning quick. 
I don't want to beat a dead horse, but we've been playing too small all year. And it's more has to do with like, we have too many small guards on the court at the same time. And so just like, like Dennis and Bev is not a great two man combo, even by the numbers. And it makes sense. If you look at all of the good teams by and large over the last 10 years, it's fairly infrequent that they're playing two small guards at the same time. You can play a small guard and play high-level basketball, but if you're small at both backcourt positions and then at the three as well, let's say it's Russ defending the three spot, which he's done well, but again, you don't need that to be tiny in the backcourt too. And so like be... And that's one of the things that I really have my eye on going forward, Mike, is that we actually have like when again, Wenyan got two DMPs the last couple of games. Wenyan's a really good role player and does a bunch of different things. Wenyan should be playing, in my opinion. Now, where that is 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 to be determined, but it's almost the inverse of last year's inverse of last year's team, where it was like our big guys were not good, so like you have to play your best players and the. It made sense to play small. This is the opposite of that. We got a lot of kind of bigger guys, TB, Wenyan, Rui, LeBron, AD. And and so it kind of points to this direction where it's like, hey, we can play bigger. And the way that our guard core is formulated, we don't have to play Russ in certain lineups where it can be it can be detrimental to play two bigs alongside him. And so that that's one of the bigger conversations to have going forward that I really have my eye, eye on Mike is like, we have played smaller than we've needed to for most of the season, but a good portion of it has been like on nights where we just have enough guys out due to injury where it's like, yeah, these are the guys that we have that might be about to end. And so what direction does Darvin go in? I'm concerned about, about that. Let's take a break though. When we come back, we're going to zoom out, take a look at the standings. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Well, Pete, standings watch. Not been the most fun thing due to all of the these close games that it finally seemed like the Lakers may be turning a corner in a couple of those close games when they won a couple last week. And then you get to Boston and not to bring that up again, right? It's, it's like, you can tell even within <laughs> the locker room, like a couple of people asked about the Celtics game and guys just kind of put their heads down. You know, it's, it's just right. a really tough one to take for, yeah. for guys that put that much into it and, and are at this point of the season. And so you look at the standings <laughs> There's been one team that has made a huge drop lately, uh, and that's New Orleans. And a lot of that Mm -hmm. has been because of injury. They've lost eight in a row, right? They've won only one out of their last 10. Zion remains out 
Uh, Ingram came back, and they've they're like trying to adjust now with with him returning, having missed a ton of time. So they they were in like the second or the third spot, and they're now in the eight. Um, they have they still though have three fewer losses than the Lakers and three more wins um, at this point. So they were they were not a team that we had kind of talked about as a potential dropper, and I still I see them as being able to make a surge once they do mm-hmm. get healthy because they've got a lot of talent. And, mm-hmm. and so then Minnesota has been playing better basketball. Um, they, Utah and OKC are all, have all won six of their last 10. Phoenix has been playing better. They've won six of 10 golden state and the Clippers have both won six of 10. So the only other team that has not been playing well, um, out of this group would be Dallas, uh, who has lost four of 10. Luca missed a couple of games and yet there's still a couple games over 500. So it's it's become this log jam now, Pete, of, of teams that are all still, you know, within range. But the thing that I'm that I want to kind of put out to you and see and see what you think is a lot of these teams now are starting to get done with the Eastern Conference. And, and by done, I mean, have a couple games left like the Lakers mm-hmm. have, I think, after tonight, six games left against the East. So all these teams are going to be playing each other and take out San Antonio, who the Lakers are done with. They won all four games against them. And Houston, who's 12 and 38, I think the Lakers played twice more, uh, or is it three times? I'll, I'll, I'll check while you're talking. That you know, mm-hmm. it's all these games are going to be interesting and, and tricky. And OKC, the Lakers haven't played yet. You know, they're playing good basketball still. Are young, are athletic. So it's just it's just become a mess now. And to have to figure out how the Lakers are going to be able to pass, you know, five of these six teams potentially or five ish it's uh it's something i want to work through with you so where where's your head at and is it different just after two losses that the lakers conceivably games they could have should have would have won were they healthy and were the referee not screwed them in boston so i do think there's a sense of urgency i do think it's go time and it's time to start collecting those wins but the reason that i think that that is not just possible but actually fairly plausible is there's been no point of this season where we've both had lebron and ad and had the general structure of what the team is. Now, we're still working through some more intermediate problems, uh, but we're not in, you know, basketball 101 as we were at the beginning of the season, also with a tough schedule. I need to give another look to our schedule over this last third of the season as well. But my impressions the last time I looked at it was that, hey, that's a pretty good stretch for us. Like, we've got some winnable games over the course of that. I think this is correct, Mike, right? This one, this road trip that you guys are on right now is the last big one of the year. Is that correct? There's uh there's another one in March. Um, that's another long one in March. So it's it's a okay. five gamer. Now it does include the Clippers, so it's really like a four gamer. But Chicago, sure. Minnesota, Houston, Utah. Um, that's gotcha. that's an early kind of the end of March, early April. And even looking at those teams, like between Houston and Utah, probably dropping off a little bit. They certainly have since a, a hot start, right? And Minnesota, like that's Chicago's not playing particularly well. That that's not a road trip where you look at it and be like, oh man, that's Boston and Brooklyn to start out, right? And so just if if we are able to be good, this is the time that it's going to happen, right? With LeBron and Nate. Now we need Above all else, we need a stretch of good luck with health. We need LeBron and AD to generally be available. I understand a DNP like last night, both with AD just returning and LeBron and the load that he's carried. And, uh, you know, we've we've talked about that a a lot. But 
over these last 31 games, Mike, we need them to be available for the vast majority of them in order to go on the run. But that's my counterpoint is that I believe that superstar LeBron plus superstar AD plus a team that's okay, right? That's That has something. We're way better in terms of the surrounding structure around them than we were earlier in the season, that we should be capable of playing a level of basketball that jumps a, a good deal of those teams. How many, it depends on, you know, how well it goes. But yeah, that, that's where I'm coming from. So the first thing I would look at based off out of that in, in agreeing or kind of playing along with healthy LeBron AD, you're a little bigger now with Hachimura, you know, you get Reeves back, like mm-hmm. you're, you can, you can put out reasonable lineups throughout a game, you know, not having to to rely on groups that just clearly don't work together. Right. And therefore you're going to just win some games like that. So the teams that are likely droppers are all are the three teams that are right in front of the Lakers, right? So Portland 24 and 26, OKC 24 and 26 and Utah 26 and 26. I think all three of those teams, this is where you get to the whole front office versus head coach and players. And sure. Since those teams are all so close to the bottom of the West, and then out of the East, there aren't that many terrible teams. There are only really two teams, Detroit and Charlotte, that are just really bad. Orlando is pretty good. Now, there are 11 games under 500. They've gotten a lot better as the season's gone on, yeah. Yeah, like there are 11 games under 500, but they are now, so they're four games out of the plan. They've got a ton of young guys. Like, they just got the number one overall pick. I I don't think that they're going to make a play-in push necessarily. But they're also not they're, – they're too talented and too big to just be bad. So the point is a team like Utah, OKC, Portland, they can get down potentially in that bottom six, bottom seven, where you still have a chance to get the number one overall pick. And right. it makes more sense probably for those teams than to try and make this play and push when they're really not that good. Like they're – you know, those, those three teams at their absolute best are pretty good, the Western teams I'm talking about. Can I add, though, I think that for teams like OKC and Orlando in particular that have a core that is going to be there next year, most of the guys, that this is great experience for them to try to make that playoff push rather than to to tank. I, I, like, where do you stand on that, Mike? For, for Like, for a team like Utah, you've got a bunch of guys that are vets, probably not going to be on the team in three years for the most part. Yeah. Um, like, that's that makes a lot more sense for me to drop. But for an OKC or an Orlando, like, if I'm them, I'm, I'm putting the foot on the gas pedal, see if I can get my young guys some great experience. Yeah, so I think that Orlando, it's just they're a little bit farther away. But the teams that they would need to drop out, like Washington, not very good. Indiana mm-hmm. has been, they're in a complete free fall without Halliburton. Yep. Um, but he is going to come back, right, at mm-hmm. some point soon watch it be just for the Laker game or something. I'm expecting <laughs> you to check up on that. And then Toronto, you know, Toronto, who's three and a half ahead of them, but it has plenty of good players that just don't seem to be able to win together this year. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been an odd team there. So I think that that's the the trick for, that's the trick for Orlando. They're a little bit in a similar place to, to where the Lakers are. Um, just in, like they're, they're not necessarily worse than those two teams, but they're four games back in the loss column. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. four games is, it it is, it seems like, once you get once you get closer to February, four games is bigger than you think. Oh you yeah, know, because not only do you have to win, you have to make that up in the win column, but also the other team has to drop off some. So without belaboring that point, I I kind of agree on OKC. I just I still think that a run to me is a little different from like a good shot to make the actual playoffs. I don't know if a play in game really does a ton, 
And so mm-hmm. if you're OKC, you're going to have to jump one of the uh, another, the other section of teams that I'm talking about. Then you're going to have to win most likely on the road, you know, maybe at Minnesota or at New Orleans or, or that kind of thing. And, and not that they couldn't do it, especially with Shea, but just sitting Shea for a week. And by the way, I do not endorse this. I prefer to I would prefer <laughs> to try to win games um, and not anger the basketball gods. But we've just seen them do it in the past. We've seen Presti sure. sort of look at the overall picture and be like, yeah, it'd be great. But we've already got our culture in OKC. Our guys, we have one of the better player development staffs in the league. Our guys get better. We've got some blue chippers. You know, we're we let's let's go ahead and pair Chet Holmgren with one of these best couple players in the league and Shea mm-hmm. and you know what I mean? So that so mm-hmm. to me there that ends up that would be their more their organizational philosophy. But honestly, the how the Lakers do in the three games against OKC is gonna have a lot to do with this. Oh, and yeah. unfortunately they're not for the Lakers, they're not a it's not the best matchup um for them. Although as I say that, LeBron and AD, you know, it's a lot for them to handle. They are small. They've been playing small in the, aforem- the aforementioned conversation, Pete, about posting up and like that kind of thing, switching like that would be probably a good team to deploy some of those tactics against. Mm-hmm. So I, but they're my, I'm still having them in sort of that pool of teams that, yes, while while I could see them wanting to make a little bit of a run, they don't have the highest motivation like a Minnesota who's That's desperate to get in or. Yeah. You know, Sacramento, who is now seven games over 500, and it's hard to see them just with how good they are offensively, even if I don't buy them as a real good team. Uh, they're not going to, they're at this point seven games in the loss column ahead of the Lakers, right? Mm-hmm. The, the Clippers are, have enough separation, the Warriors, that it's now like Phoenix is not as bad anymore. So I'm basically what I've done here is say the Lakers, even like, even in, in a best case scenario where the OKC, Portland, Utah kind of continue to drop off. Then they're essentially chasing Minnesota, New Orleans, and Phoenix all in Dallas, all with peak motivation, just like the Lakers, to win mm-hmm. each one of their games. And they're good enough to win, let's say, at worst, half their games. So that's I, I could then forecast the Lakers being in that plan mix for sure. But they're to get to the top of it, I just I think is going to be difficult. And you might be you might be looking right now, based on just a, a little bit of a schedule look and assuming even assuming good health for the Lakers that I think, I just think that becomes a difficult task. I do think it's difficult, but I do think it's doable. And I think it's been so long since we've seen a healthy LeBron and AD of which we are not guaranteed over this last portion of the season. I'm just saying that, that if that happens, I think that we will perhaps surprise some people on that. Actually, no, we are a tier better than that. And and so that's why when it's so bunched up like this has been every time we've had these standings conversations, I've kind of made this point is I almost view them as this one blob where it, they kind of cancel each other out in that some will win, some will lose. A lot of nights they're playing each other, so it's right. guaranteed a 500 record in that game where like we need to set a goal. Like to me, 45 wins is a goal. And so that means 22 and nine to go out through the rest of the, the year. Have we wanted a 22 and nine pace at any point since Anthony Davis got hurt on Valentine's Day in 2021? No, we have not, right? But, but we also have not have a, had a healthy LeBron and AD at the same time. And so are they able to rekindle that magic? Are they able – does, does the supporting cast have what it takes to be able to fill in around them? Is there a trade to be made, either big or small, to help round out the roster and, and get what we need? I, I think it's doable. I th- now, do I think that it's it's certain or anything like that? No, we got to – 
And that's part of the reason why we got to find all the little small victories where we can, Mike. The, oh, hey, Thomas Bryant can post this guy up. He can't guard him. This guy's too short to guard Rui. The, this guy's bringing the ball up court. Let's have Dennis Ball pressure him. We can't leave points on the floor, of which we've done a lot this year, or games unwon that we absolutely should have won, but just kind of blew down the stretch. Like That, to me, is that has to end fairly soon for us to get to that point. But I don't think it's so, and uh, I, I don't think it's terribly unrealistic either. So Pete, I was, I, that's all fair. Uh, while you were saying that I, I was just checking on Halliburton for a second. Cause I, I'm now, let me zoom back closer in and save the okay. whole if, because as you said, it's such a blob, you know, we can, we can predict who's going to go up and who's going to go down. And, um, it's become like a really like the Lakers have to beat the Knicks. You know, that's the first thing. Yeah, you know what exactly. I mean? it's, it's like they really do. And then they and then they have to beat the Pacers. And yep. I don't think Halliburton is going to be back um, for that one. So New York's good. Like they're better than people think. Randall has returned mm. to being really good again after just absolutely struggling last year. But they're beatable. And especially mm-hmm. in this kind of a game with all that LeBron hasn't gotten to play in a couple of years and MSG. And, you know, the bright lights and all that. So I, I could certainly see the Lakers winning that game. And then I could see him getting a little revenge on Indy. Then you get to New Orleans and it, like is Zion back and then it's the home stretch. But amidst all of this is LeBron's Kareem chase, which yeah. I don't think I don't think has to be. Sometimes those types of marks can be a distraction and it can be difficult for a team. But I think when LeBron's aggressive and looking to score, it usually helps the Lakers. Because yes. he's, he's still going to make good passes, you know, yep. and it just almost it, it almost locks him in a little. So I don't think that that necessarily distracts them from potentially winning games. But, you know, maybe maybe what what you do here is just the Lakers focus on these couple. And then you look at the standings again and all of a sudden you're like, oh, OK, now there are a couple games back, you know. And, and so it's it's this mix of big picture, small picture, but control what you can control in front of you. And they do have a couple winnable games here on this trip. I my only brief pushback in my own point is that like looking ahead to the next really month of games, there aren't many bad teams that the Lakers play. Like they play Houston mm-hmm. on March 15th. Um, there also aren't that many great teams that are playing amazing right. um, in that stretch, but they're all pretty good. So it's, it's going to be a, a night to night slog um, as they try to hammer away at, at the, the mm-hmm. facade of the standings. And uh, there's, it's just a, it's unfortunate that they're in such a pressure type situation uh, based on, on LeBron and AD and, and kind of why the roster or not the roster, like why things have gone the way they have so far, but it's not undoable. And and that's, mm-hmm. uh, I suppose, part of your point that they, that it's something that is doable if they play good basketball. It is. And there's a benefit to being under pressure, like to, to win games and to kind of climb the standings in that if you do that well, it, you are focused on a night-to-night basis in a way that I think really benefits you in the playoffs because it's hard to turn that off. Now, do we have the bodies? Do we have the capability to sustain that over the course of a 30-game stretch, which is what we're looking at now? That certainly remains to be seen. But in some ways, having to win games, be like, no, tonight is important. We have to beat the Knicks tonight, right? We have to beat the Pacers on Thursday. That has value in terms of building the habits of a team that is still formulating we're much closer to the the finished product of, of of what we're going to be, but uh, but this that that pressure can help, but it can also break you apart, right? So, but one of the fascinating parts about this season, no doubt. Um, all right, so Pete, in my my final little 
takeaway is just okay. So Knicks game, right? Count on LeBron and a better in rhythm AD um, from mm-hmm. where he was last game, and sort of ride that. Quick question: Do we have any information about him coming off the bench versus starting, and like kind of what the plan is on that? Not yet. Uh, that'll be something I ask about pregame for sure. Okay. Uh, I I would think that this would be a game where he could go back to the starting lineup. I think. Fingers I mean, crossed. It, because well, his so his minutes, you know, they I don't think they unnecessarily went up past uh, what they were supposed to last game because of the overtime. You know, mm-hmm. uh, whereas I think he was supposed to have somewhat of a similar minutes limit. I think it was supposed to be 24 the first time. and But he played 34 minutes against the Celtics, and mm. it sounds like he's okay physically um, after. So even if you keep him – even if you want to keep him to 30 as an ideal, that's still sure. difference between starting and coming off the bench to me. Yep. yep. Right? So I, I would expect him to be able to start. And, and the Knicks still without Mitchell Robinson, who who would have murdered the Lakers on the offensive glass. Uh, he has been ridiculous <laughs> – on the Oakland, and they still have Jericho Sims, who was also really good on the offensive glass. So that'll yeah. be your defensive rebounding. But you know what, Pete? That's why I'd like to see more Rui Hachimura, more big lineups, right? Big to lineups, kind of counter yep. some of that Knicks muscle. And um, and they're going to need AD out there because Randall has been just an absolute bull in the China shop, which is why he used to always win the Lakers one on one competition in the preseason. He's just too strong for everybody, even mm-hmm. if he's not hitting shots. And AD is one of the few guys who can kind of, yep. you know, uh, keep him keep him from doing that. I, I would I do not want to see much of Julius Randle going at Thomas Bryant or Wendy and Gabriel. Oof! Yes, yes, that's going to be important. Uh, how we how we address that? All right, we will be back uh, tomorrow. See how how it goes. But until then, you've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. Baines has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic got it. Magic fires. It's good. They win. Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. That next to the winner. It's on the way. Good. Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. With his eighth block shot, the a lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the score. move. Two, one, miss it! It's over. Shot clock now to five. Bryant. Yes! And that was a little tough to Albert Gentry. Add insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic. Trying to disrupt Rondo, he puts it in. Here's Davis, 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.